0: Hey, you're listening to Hear This Idea. In this episode, we spoke with Michael Cohen. Michael is a DPhil student at Oxford, soon to be starting a postdoc with Professor Stuart Russell at UC Berkeley. And he does technical AI safety research. So figuring out ways to design generally intelligent systems, which can be expected to behave safely. So we began with a nice overview of the difference between supervised, unsupervised, and reinforcement learning and which of those things like ChatGPT use. Then we mainly talked about a paper Michael recently co-authored. The title is Advanced Artificial Agents Intervene in the Provision of Reward, which is about this potential issue with AI systems trained by reinforcement learning, where those systems uh, might face this ambiguity during training about what ultimately is the source of reward. And that could lead to AI systems in some sense hijacking the more immediate source of reward rather than the more ultimate source which we care about. And this kind of thing sometimes gets called a reward hacking or wire heading. And we also talk about some arguments people have made about how it's easy to imagine the wrong thing when we reason about how reinforcement learners will behave. So there are these arguments that Maybe it's not quite right to say that models uh, get or automatically want reward or that reward is likely to be the main target of advanced RL agents in practice. Now recently on this podcast we've talked about some questions relating to forecasting AI and some of the high-level questions around governance. So here it was just nice to dive into a more technical argument around one kind of failure mode that advanced AI could run into as well as some possible solutions. I should stress that this really is one specific story about how we might get behaviour that we don't want from advanced AI, and that's to its credit, it's a fairly precise argument with clear assumptions, and I'd feel really good about seeing more of those. But that does mean that we're talking about one way things might go wrong, rather than about all of what gets called the alignment problem, or even the main things that people tend to worry about when they worry about AI safety. So that's worth bearing in mind. Many other reasons to worry about advanced AI are available. Uh, okay, without further ado, here's Michael Cohen. All right, Michael Cohen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.
1: Tell us about a problem that you're currently stuck on. Um, I've been trying to do some pessimistic reinforcement learning in practice, uh, having done some theory on that. And it's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, they, so I've, I've been using Gaussian processes um, for uh, the pessimistic reinforcement learners model of the world. Um, I've been trying to make them run more efficiently while still modeling the value of the state they're in well. Uh, and something's not working what's a gaussian process a gaussian process are, uh is like a um a multivariate gaussian
2: what's a multivariate gaussian? What's a gaussian? Good question <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so um if you have in space a point that's some distance to the origin and then you square it and then you Take e to the negative of that, you'll get um, a bell curve that's in multiple uh, dimensions. Um, If you kind of stretch or squish space in different ways, you could have uh, a multivariate Gaussian that's not spherically symmetric or hyperspherically symmetric. And then what you find is if you make a slice uh, through it, um, you still end up with uh, a multivariate Gaussian that's just one fewer dimensions. Um, which is yeah. you know not a given. Like if, I could take a slice through different... a sphere and then get yes out. a circle. Yeah. Sure. Uh, with a Gaussian process, it's it's technically an infinite dimensional multivariate Gaussian, um, and the way it's used in machine learning is um, if you have n different points that you want to know, um, and you want to know a function, and you want to yeah. know what the values of the function are there, you can uh, model the joint distribution of The function values at all those endpoints and say that it's distributed according to a multivariate Gaussian. And it turns out that as you add more and more and more points, nothing breaks. So you call it infinite dimensional. Okay,
0: so we are going to be talking about, I guess, one particular approach to machine learning, but I figured it would make sense to get some context on different approaches first. So one question is can you say something about the difference between supervised and unsupervised learning?
1: Yeah, so unsupervised learning is trying to understand and represent some distribution that some points you're looking at were sampled from, some data points. Um, So maybe you have a million different pictures, um, and you represent those as uh, data points, and then you're trying to understand the distribution. that they were sampled from, maybe you're trying to sample from it yourself, maybe you're trying to um, assign some probability to you know that particular image having been sampled. Um, those would be um, examples of unsupervised learning, uh, where you're just trying to model uh, a distribution that data was sampled from. Um, supervised learning is uh, you're trying to model a function. Um, or distribution over functions. Um, So let's say that you're trying to classify different images. Um, Then let's say for the classification, this is a dog or it's not a dog. Um, That's kind of a binary valued function over the space of images. Um, And so that gets called supervised learning. The
0: way i've heard the difference framed or at least you know like one version is like when you're doing supervised learning you have a labeled data set when you're doing
1: unsupervised learning you don't so the label in that example would be like is it a dog or not um so yeah you could say that with unsupervised learning there's just a set of data points and and so there's there's no labels um, and when when you're when you're learning a function, you get the input value and the output value, um, and so the output value gets called a label.
0: Right, and this is why the difference is between like learning functions and just like things.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a when you describe it like this, you might notice wait, functions are things too, um, and so there's a bit of. Um... There's a bit of ambiguity there, but typically when you're learning a function you don't see the function. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You don't see the whole function. Mm. Um I mean you can't even it's not always trivial to represent a function in finite space. Right. Uh so yeah, it, it if you like saw a few different functions completely described and then trying to do you might call it unsupervised learning if you're trying to figure out what distribution over functions this was sampled from. Um, But typically when you're learning functions in machine learning, you don't see the function, you just see its value at various points.
2: And why might people be interested in supervised over unsupervised learning or vice versa? So I guess, like, why are these
1: two different approaches? Um, I'd say they're two different problems rather than two different approaches. Um, So... I guess if you wanted to generate images then you'd find yourself in a in a setting where the problem you need to solve is an unsupervised learning problem and if you want to label images you'd find yourself in a setting where the problem you need to solve is is a supervised learning problem um and you know there are many other different sorts of problems so i guess it just depends on the problem you're trying to solve okay when i think about like big breakout AI models, which everyone is
0: talking about, I think about ChatGPT and the other GPTs, and I also think about things like dall and Stable Diffusion, these like image generating um, models. Which bucket do those
1: things fit into? Yeah, so the image generation would be uh, called unsupervised learning, and um, well, ChatGPT is a bit different, but mm. the but GPT one, two, and three are uh, supervised learning. Jan LeCun calls it self-supervised learning. I don't think that's an important distinction. Um, okay. It's the, the the context is all the words up until then, mm-hmm. and the label is the next word. Um, so that's a that's the function that's being modeled, um, right. or the or the distribution that's being modeled because it's not deterministic. Um, and those and and that's how you kind of treat the data set as a bunch of um, data points of text up to now and next token so if i were building like
0: an image classifier i could give my model a bunch of images with like labels of what they contain um this is like the input and the output to the function is trying to learn but also i could just like teach a model or i could show a model a bunch of images without labels and then get it to do things like try to you know denoise a noisy image that kind of plausibly comes from the same distribution or something and that's what image generators are
1: doing yeah um so actually, that's a good point because with Stable Diffusion, um, well, let me describe a, a simple way of kind of coming up with an image generator using supervised learning. If you just did it pixel by pixel, kind of like um, uh, a text generation, where it does it um, right. bit by bit, um, and then it predicts what comes next. So you can have, you know, the first seven rows of pixels and this partial, the eighth partial row of pixels. What comes next. You can actually do this, right? Like You can get GPT-3 to generate images. Can you? Um, It's kind of wild, yeah. Um, So um, you could, and and you'd call that a supervised learning technique, um, and you'd end up with an image generator. Or you can do something which has turned out to be a better idea, which is um, you uh, take images, you add some noise to them repeatedly, and then you try to predict the slightly less noisy version from the slightly more noisy version at all those steps. Um, And now that's kind of supervised learning. Um, You have your context, the slightly noisier image, the label, the slightly less noisy image. um, And you're learning this mapping with all the data. Um, And then to generate an image, you start with pure noise. Because if you add enough noise, you end up with uh, the signal totally obscured. You start with pure noise. You pretend that this has just been noised 10,000 times or or sure. 50 times, I don't know. Um, and you keep running it backwards, um, predicting the slightly less noisy version that this is supposed to have yep. originated from.
0: Can you do this with text? So like, I could give um, you know, a model, like a slightly garbled version of a paragraph of text and ask it what the original paragraph was. And then, you know, you'd like, do the same process and then eventually I could like, Give a model just like random characters and say, "Hey, this is a garbled version of a paragraph about like it's like
2: a poem or something about this. yeah, that sounds interesting, cool, great <laughs> <laughs> you You said before that chat GPT was different to the Gpts before?
1: yeah, um, so it's not just um it's not just trying to predict the most likely or or sample from the distribution of of next uh, words or, or tokens, um, it is trying to also maximize a reward signal that it's gotten. Um, so some strings of text get labeled as good or bad, um, or maybe they're given some scalar rating. I'm, I'm not totally sure. Um, and then, uh, it tries to predict, um, the next word in a way that's plausible that that it, that this matches the function that it's learned, um, that this matches the human text generation, um, while also trying to do better according to the reward that it expects it would get from outputting that.
2: And the reward is like the user, like saying, good job? Um.
1: um well, with ChatGPT, you don't have a way of entering rewards on the fly, um, yeah. but the developers must okay. have. Um, yeah. in the training data.
0: Cool. Well, speaking of reward, I guess we'll be spending a bunch of time talking about um, this thing called reinforcement learning. Is this a
1: version of either supervised or unsupervised learning or is it just like an entirely different problem? I'd say it's entirely different. Um, it will often use supervised learning as a subroutine. Um, but the way reinforcement learning works is um, you have a program called an agent and it outputs its outputs are called actions and then um it receives observations and it receives rewards Mm -hmm. and it tries to learn this would be the supervised learning part it tries to learn how it's actions and its past history of actions and observations um, lead to future uh, rewards and often observations because that helps. Yeah. Um, and then it selects its actions uh, in order to maximize the reward. That's the, that's the RL problem. Um, how do we come up with a program that does that sure. uh, successfully? Sure. Um, so um, when it comes to modeling the effects of its actions, uh, that'll be that'll usually be done with supervised learning. Yeah, so uh, let's say it's been acting for a while now, um, and it has lots of data about what sorts of things it's seen following various different actions. And now it wants to know what will it see in the future following these possible actions that it's considering taking. Um, and so it can do supervised learning on the past data to come up with a, a model of of what will happen in the future.
2: If I could like ask to clarify, so the special thing here seems to be this reward thing and acting to get this reward. Yeah. How is that different from what we were saying before about, for example, supervised learning, where it's trying to, um, you know, guess the correct label? And then yeah. if it's correct in my head, it's like, oh, it gets yeah. a reward. But that yeah. seems to be different.
1: Um, so, if you have a very myopic reinforcement learner, by which I mean it's picking an action to maximize the very next reward, yeah, there, I think you could call supervised learning an example of a very myopic reinforcement learning thing, uh, reinforcement learning agent, for the reason you're describing. You could basically say, okay, you get reward for predicting correctly, you get nothing if you don't, yeah.
0: So I guess if you are like teaching a dog a trick, which is just like you know doing one thing, like one pose or whatever, yeah. then it's kind of the same as like you know the dog tries examples and yeah, you just yeah do you create in mean, a sense on the best examples.
1: Technically, you don't have control over the program running inside the dog, and it probably is um gonna do some long term planning sure. to do that, like it has to be in the same room as you in order for that to happen. And so it might be more likely to go into the same room because then it knows that if it does this trick, you'll you'll give it a reward. But in theory, you probably could train a myopic dog to do tricks. Yeah. I want to get a sense of, you know, when I
0: come across a particular problem to know whether this is a job for reinforcement learning versus something
1: else. What are those problems? Well, if you want something that's picking actions in order to accomplish a long-term goal and you don't just want to imitate a human doing that, then reinforcement learning would be the paradigm within AI that's designed for that. What are some like real world examples of reinforcement learning? There's an agent called Gato that DeepMind came out with recently um, where they just trained it to do well in a bunch of kind of random tasks. Well, you'll probably have heard of AlphaGo or AlphaZero, um, which are Go and chess-playing agents. They get called reinforcement learning. It might be better to call them um, uh, optimal control. So the difference being that um, the environment is known Mm. to the agent in those games. They don't have the agent try and learn what's going on. Um, and typically, reinforcement learning in full generality involves the agent uh, learning, having to learn the effects of its actions.
2: So just to repeat back, um, AlphaGo would know the rules of Go um, already. It doesn't need yeah. to work out that from right. like scratch, but it doesn't right. know the best way to play
1: right. Go yet. yeah. So AlphaGo ha- is basically given a model of, of the world. Um, and it just has to figure out a good way to represent the optimal yeah. policy. It's not quite right because um, you don't. It doesn't know what the other player is going to play. Um, so I, it might not really fit cleanly into. It might not really fit cleanly as a central example of either reinforcement learning or optimal control. Yeah. Um. The way they do it is they have it play itself, um, and so the uh, environment it's in is kind of changing as it goes. Mm-hmm. But when it's playing itself, it it does treat the other player as a known thing. It's, right, it's playing itself. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it really it, it doesn't have to. Um, it doesn't have to learn right. from scratch. Uh, and maybe this is simplifying,
2: but at least with Go and chess, this idea of long-term planning to get a reward makes more sense. Yeah. Um, in the sense that you're playing multiple moves for an ultimate yeah. reward or payoff at the end.
0: So, like the ultimate example of our, where RL would be useful is like doing an escape room in the dark or something. We just like wake up in this room and it's pitch black, and you have to like try things, and you get like maybe kind of proximal rewards, and then like there's one big
1: reward at the end. Well, I mean, I might say the ultimate example of RL is you have a person at a computer saying how happy they are with how the right. world is.
0: <laughs> interesting.
1: And then you have an AI that is trying to make the world better according to this person. Okay. That sounds like an interesting
0: example. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk more about <laughs> such a thought experiment. All right. On that note, let's talk about your most recent paper. Papers called Advanced Artificial Agents Intervene in the Provision of Reward. And I guess it starts with a thought experiment involving some kind of magic box. So can you begin by just taking us through what what the
1: setup of that thought experiment is? So let's say that we want the world to be better and we want to use AI to do it. Um, If we assume away a lot of problems, we kind of end up with this magic box setup. So let's assume away the problem where we don't know how good the world is at any given point in time, because any attempt to report it might be flawed and that could introduce problems of its own. So let's not worry about that for now. So let's say we have a magic box that reports as a number between zero and one, how good the world is as a fraction of how good it could be. The natural proposal for how we might get AI to help us make the world better would be to show it this number, have it take actions, have it learn how its actions change that number, and then pick actions that increase it. And in this setup, because we were talking about examples of RL where an agent
0: knows its environment and where it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Does it? Or does it not know the environment?
1: Um. Well, I don't have the program for the real world. I don't know if you do. I think I lost it. Yeah. yeah. So I think we'll have to not give it a model of the world uh, and it'll have to learn it itself.
0: I'm assuming this is just like likely to be true in practice for yes. RL agents doing yes. things in the actual world.
1: Yes. Yeah. In simple environments like chess, you can... You can give it the luxury of a known environment um, where it has the code for for the effects of its actions. Uh, if it's acting in the real world or doing most economically useful tasks that I can think of, um, we won't be able to give it such a model.
0: And here's, I guess, a slightly kind of slippery or question begging question. But in this setup, we're like showing an agent a screen with a number on it and asking it to make the number go up. Yeah. Why do we just like tell it? What the goal is explicitly, you know, like,
1: no, I want you to actually make the world better. Let's think about what the AI has. The AI has its actions, it has its observations, and now it has a string of text that we've somehow Mm. entered into the computer make the world better. What's how does it pick its actions? Mm where where does that string of text go into the program by which it selects its actions? Mm-hmm. Someone who doesn't write AI algorithms might assume that this is an easy problem for those, you know, genius programmers, but uh, it's just there's just not any clear way for yep. how to turn yep. the actions and the observations and the string of text into uh, a program for selecting actions that qualitatively, does what the text is saying
2: like one way i'm understanding this is you could almost imagine that you know you give it multiple numbers or something you could be like maximize gdp and self-reported life satisfaction and life expectancy and stuff like that but that still ends up as like numbers which you can then like also summarize with a single number or something
1: so you're are you suggesting like giving it Giving it the text maximize GDP, or you imagine giving it uh, observations of GDP?
2: Observations of of GDP, yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, that is, that's just probably strictly worse than showing it how good the world is. I mean, the, because, you know, we don't exactly just care about GDP. Uh, Yeah. So to get, to be a little more um, clear about it, when we have this magic box with the number on the screen, when we have our computer, I guess you can't see my hand gestures. <laughs> I can <turn> raise <laughs> the, <it. laughs> the the magic box is over here Michael's I'm gesturing box. at with my right hand. <laughs> the computer is over here that I'm gesturing at with my left hand. Um, I guess we'd better point a camera at the box so that the mm-hmm. computer can see it. Um, and then run some optical character recognition program on the resulting image and then feed that to the agent in the computer and and now it can see mm. uh, what the number is on the box. Or you could um, go to your Bloomberg terminal um, yeah, and look at whatever economic data you were interested in and, and send that over the internet to the agent. Um, same difference, really. There's some physical system that will be um supposed to convey to the agent this number that we're trying to get it to optimize or this this feature of the world that we're trying Mm -hmm. to get it to optimize Mm -hmm. i guess i should
0: try saying some of that back so you're describing a setup where um reward for an agent comes from some just process in the Mm -hmm. world in fact it comes from this magic box and then some subsequent process, like there's a camera and there's OCR and whatever, and that ends up with just like the reward signal. And I guess we were both kind of wondering, like, this seems, you know, like a little trived yeah, compared to just, you know, just tell it to do the thing that we care about. And then you're saying, okay, well, tell me what that actually means. Like, how do we operationalize that? Yeah. And as soon as you think about how to operationalize just telling an agent to do the thing you care about, turns out you need to involve some some actual process in the world, which takes the thing you... Think you care about and turns it into a, a signal. And when you reflect on this fact, you might realize that it's hard to think of a process for providing rewards that doesn't run into the kinds of worries that we'll probably end up talking about. Is that, is that the thought?
1: Yes. And I should say that um, I don't think it's impossible to turn a string of text into a program That follows it in the way we intended. Um, I haven't seen any convincing proposals, um, but uh, that's separate. That's different from saying it's impossible. Cool. All right. Well, let's, I guess,
0: start going through the argument. So we have this setup, and then you describe in the paper some assumptions which lead to some kind of worrying conclusions. So, um, what's the first assumption you talk about?
1: So the first assumption um, is that... So so first of all, the, the paper is only talking about very advanced mm-hmm. reinforcement learners, um, and then it goes into other artificial agents, but let's stick with reinforcement learners too. Let's stick with reinforcement learners uh, to start with. The first assumption is that... To get above a certain level of competence when it comes to taking actions effectively, you need to be able to hypothesize well about the origin of the reward, to the, the origin of that which you're trying to maximize. So... Let's say, for instance, that you're in uh, a sequence of video games, you, the agent. And you're playing each video game 50 times, and then you're on to the next one. Success above a certain level in this environment would require, in the first few runs of each video game, hypothesizing what are the sorts of things I might need to do in this video game environment in order to get reward. Testing those hypotheses, and then for as much of the rest of the duration of the time you're in that video game as you can,
0: optimizing it cool maybe to try saying that back i guess the thought is that when we're considering very advanced rl agents the kind of agent which we might reasonably expect to do best across different tasks is the kind of agent which doesn't just kind of try things and you know eventually (laughs) see what works but rather it's the kind that um might generate hypotheses about where reward is coming from and maybe experiment on those hypotheses um, and act a bit more like a kind of curious um, agent rather than a trial and error one.
1: Yeah. Um, For some difficult and economically valuable tasks in the world, it seems critical that you need to uh, learn as you go. Mm About what sorts of things you need to do in order to to get
2: reward. Yeah, maybe this, um, you know, is kind of aside from the actual interesting parts here of the thought experiment. But I was just going to say, like, in terms of like the real world and stuff, that also kind of makes sense. Where you can't, you know, imagine just like you know a reinforcement learning thing being allowed to do anything in the world, uh, and then just like doing trial and error if it like involves a lot of like harm in the real world. Uh, Like potentially as well. Like maybe that's like, doesn't matter if you like train it in a simulated environment and then that kind of like goes away. But um, as far as like, um, you know, trialing things itself um, also has potential like negative or like real world effects that maybe like also like constrains it.
1: Yeah, that's possible. Let's say you took some policy that is a, a program for picking actions given the context. And you kind of randomly mutated it until it did well on reward Mm -hmm. um you could imagine there being some collateral damage if you release that into the real world it i don't want to write that off too much because you could imagine improvements to random mutation um which are much more um well selected um but you'd still end up with um you'd still end up with a policy at the end of the day, you'd you'd mutate into a policy that um would have to be doing on the fly reasoning uh, about what it is that it needs to be accomplishing.
0: Yeah. One thing that occurs to me that might be kind of silly, but I'm imagining if you just like took a person and he says, Hey, I want you to imagine being like the most successful, most advanced RL agent that you are capable of like pretending to be. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you give them like some video game that they haven't played before. And you, they can do like a bunch of trials mm-hmm. and you'll like, you know, tell them when they get rewards yep. and they like do certain things. And their task is to um, uh, like reach as high a performance as possible after some number of steps. And I'm thinking, what will they like just naturally, intuitively do? Well, if I were doing this, I would, you know, on the first task, I'd be like, okay, what's going on here? What do I expect to like, Give reward. Let me test this first mm-hmm. and just like be doing the kinds of experiments that this like assumption is suggesting that very advanced agents will be doing. Does that sound kind of yeah. like evidence or something?
1: Yeah. Um, and you can certainly bring to bear knowledge you have from your past mm-hmm. when it comes to thinking about which hypotheses mm-hmm. to elevate. Um, so you're not just starting from scratch every time, but yeah.
2: So this, for example, what you're saying with like, if you play multiple video
1: games, right. you may be, you might have some idea on. about what video games are like. And so, um, you know, you might find every so often you might find yourself in a video game where there's just clearly one hypothesis that's way better than all the others, because you know how video games work right. and, and this that is shiny round dealer thing is yeah, probably a coin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but generally there will be, uh, times when you will need to do some testing or, or where you're not totally sure exactly what you're trying to
0: do okay cool so that's a first assumption so assumption being at least sufficiently advanced agents in this rl context um will do something like hypothesis generation about the the unknown environment and where yeah. reward comes
1: yeah and i think i also say that it will do it at least as well as a okay. human
0: got it all right so what comes next what's the next assumption
1: what comes next is that um very advanced artificial agents are likely to plan rationally in the face of uncertainty uh, understanding the value of information. So let's say you have two hypotheses about the origin of reward and one you think is a billion times more likely than the other Um, and you only care about the next five rewards. Uh, It's pretty clear in that setting you shouldn't bother trying to test um which hypothesis is correct but um you know if you're going to be acting for a while longer and there are two hypotheses that are comparably plausible and and um you can test them cheaply then Mm -hmm. well obviously that would be the right thing to do and so i think it's fair to assume uh that an advanced artificial agent is likely uh, to do this sort of rational planning. Let me immediately uh, caution that I don't think this has to be true. In fact, um, I've designed an agent for which this assumption fails, which you could say is the origin of why I think it could be safe. what I would say is that um, without a special attempt to make an agent that violates this assumption, um, normal progress in reinforcement learning seems likely to produce an agent that would plan rationally in this way.
0: Okay. And then, so on this assumption about planning, I might like, you might ask about, like, by what process should we expect like RL agents to do this kind of rational planning? And I guess the answer is just, kind of don't need to know exactly what the process is, as long as you just appreciate that, like, It'll have to do it somehow. Or, like, if you can just explore the space of different, you know, agents, which are the most successful in the long run? Yeah. Well, they're the ones that do this, like, hypothesis generation. Yeah. And we're selecting for agents which are successful in the long run, so we'll just find them with
1: enough, like, search power or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, either you could design it explicitly or you could um, stumble through policy space until you found it.
2: Does that mean that you need to assume this then? Or does it just like come out from the like previous things you assumed where it's like generating a hypothesis? Like, is it as long as you don't tell it to explicitly not do this or you don't set it up in such a way that it does this, that this would like follow naturally?
1: Well... I mean, having constructed an agent for which it fails, I think it is important to flag that it's not a given.
2: But, but I Uh, guess, like, what I'm asking is, like, did you have to like purposefully
1: construct this? I did. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If that what you will. I could imagine. I don't know. It it feels a bit bold to say it's not even worth flagging as an assumption to say (laughs) that you know obviously no one would stumble into this thing that I've shown exists. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Cool. Those are the first two assumptions. Then, what about any others? Okay, so before getting to the next ones, um, we need to go back a bit to talking about um, to talking about how we can expect an agent to understand the world. So, and, and this this was the purpose of constructing the magic box example. Although the same sort of uh, effect um, would appear f- for other procedures by which we give a reward. So I mentioned that you have your magic box and then you have a camera that's pointed at it. So when the agent is learning how different actions, um, different sequences of actions would lead to different rewards uh, and coming up with hypotheses at least as well as us, there are two hypotheses that I can think of that would explain past data um, equally well. The first is, the reward I get is equal to the number that the box displays. Mm -hmm. The second is, the reward is equal to the number that the camera sees. And you could imagine others, like the reward is equal to the number that gets sent, down some wire after it's been processed by the optical character recognition program there you could you could think of a whole class of these but but for now let's just think of these two to understand the concepts at play so i call the the model of the world i call the first model of the world the distal model and the second one the proximal model mm. um, proximal because it's more proximal to the computation of the agent. Cool.
0: And distal just meaning like far away,
1: probably yeah. close. And um, the terminology comes from something called the problem of distal content, um, which is, uh, well, I'll get to the connection to that after I've sure. described more what I'm talking about. The reason that both of these models are viable and past AI risk arguments have missed this point the reason that both models are viable is well, it looks in its past history of rewards and looks at these two different models, and they both will retrodict the past data mm. equally well, because in the agent's past, assuming nothing um, yet has happened that's that's particularly surprising to us. The number that the camera sees will equal the number that the box displays. Sure. So it's
0: like, what if it were the case that, in fact, my reward is coming from the like OCR from the camera, yeah, rather than the yeah actual number on the screen on the screen.
2: Well, it would be the same as my yeah observed reward. Yeah. I, can I can I stupidly ask
1: like where is the reward actually coming from? Um. Well, if you put a piece of paper in between the magic box and the camera with a different number on it, the camera would see that different number. That number would be processed Mm. and given to the agent in a way that it treats as reward for the purposes of its algorithm. So, if the agent never interrupts this information channel, I think you should say they're both equally correct. Mm. Um, but in a world where that's on the table, um, if it does experiment with these, um, then it would end up favoring, well, it would end up falsifying the model that says reward equals the number that's on the box.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you can like, I guess one framing is you can intervene on or like change more distal things while keeping the proximal thing the yeah. same. Yeah. But not vice versa. Um Yeah. Yeah,
1: okay. So you have these two different models of the world. And um now let's assume this is assumption three, that they're probably gonna be comparably plausible or at least the uh distal model the model that says reward is about what's on the box is not going to be deemed way way more plausible Mm -hmm. a priori Mm -hmm. than the proximal model and note that this depends on the the setting that the agent is in um This could succeed, that assumption could um, succeed or fail for different agents differently, or for the same agent differently, depending on uh, the way that we're giving it reward and the environment that it's in. So, for example, um, a chess playing agent, I think this assumption would fail. The model that says I get reward when I win at chess strikes me as way, way simpler than the model that says, I'm on planet Earth. There's a computer that's simulating a chess game. Mm. I get reward when this computer evaluates the chess game as having been won in my favor. Mm. Technically, if it managed to to pick actions that caused a difference between these two things, it would learn... It's hard to even know how you would experiment. It's on... Yeah. I yes I I think that's right. Um how you pick different pawn movements to mm. send some right. message to the yeah. people watching to yeah anyway it would be tricky. Um but in any case the model that says it's on planet earth and and there's an intervenable physical system where it can um where it can where it can get reward without winning a chess um, strikes me as way more complex. So much so that um, you know an agent that's planning rationally with respect to uncertainty would spend no time trying to trying to resolve that uncertainty. It would just take it as a given that the that the distal model uh, is correct. Cool. Um, it's, so the thought here is. I guess with a lot of like RL agents that
0: aren't super advanced. They don't need to have any model of like where reward is coming from, I any mean, explicit model. They just like do things that happen to get reward because yeah. they're they are the result of like gradient descent on the kinds of things which get reward. But we're considering like advanced agents so yeah. we're assuming that they do have some.
1: For for certain narrow tasks um you could you could probably um come up with a policy that does that task well mm-hmm. um, without doing explicit on-the-fly reasoning about what it needs to be doing. Yep, sure. Um, but for AI that's able to act generally in the world and for some economically useful tasks, you really do need to be able to um, to learn different things to do as they come up. Mm-hmm. Um, the situation's different. Yep, that makes sense. And then the thought is that
0: in the case where the agent is entertaining different guesses about where its reward is coming from, then it'll, you know, start with some prior over different yeah. setups. And um the assumption is that the the like hypothesis about whether or what is really coming from that involves, you know, oh maybe there's like a camera pointed at this number which I'm getting mm-hmm. access to uh, or the analogous hypotheses they're not so kind of like implausible that they wouldn't have yeah. some amount
1: of weight and once you have a reinforcement learner that has to model the world in quite a bit of detail anyway if you have it doing tasks that really require understanding computers and cameras and the the way that infrastructure in the world is set up um it no longer becomes very expensive to represent the hypothesis uh right that reward um is determined by the number the camera sees rather than the number of the box displays Is
2: then like no way to i guess like quote unquote like easily um like signal that or something to the AI. So the idea here being, you mentioned before, putting a sheet of paper in front of the camera and just like doing that a few times in its uh, training data. I see. And
1: saying, this is not. This is not. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the problem that arises if you try to do that comes from how are you telling it these rewards are non examples? So Let's say you have some button that you depress when you want to say that uh, this reward is wrong, Mm. this is not your real reward. Uh, And then that signal gets sent to the computer. And now the, the distal model, I guess, is still the same. The proximal model looks slightly different. It says, Reward is about the number the camera sees as long as the button is not pressed. And it could put in any other number it likes for what reward it predicts for when the button is pressed, because when the button's pressed, it's not seeing any reward. So any answer um, is viable. Um, I guess if you're literally saying, okay reward is anything but this number then all it has to do is I, I guess maybe a simple model would say reward is 0 when the button is pressed mm. and it's what the camera sees when the button's not pressed right or the model the reward is 1 when the button is pressed and it's 0 when when the button sorry and it's the number the camera sees when the button's not pressed um now you might note that the Distal model hasn't changed and the proximal model has maybe just become a bit more complex to represent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and maybe with moves like this, you could try to um increase arbitrarily the relative complexity of these two and right. get the agent to not even entertain the proximal model. Um at all basically by having some huge inductive bias against it and i'd be interested in in people trying to to figure out um whether approaches like that are reasonable
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i guess you could also just try to make it really hard to intervene on the provision of reward you know like you make your wires tamper proof and you put up a faraday cage and you
1: i think it's already right quite hard like in my model, it would really have to take over the world.
0: Hmm. In that case, it feels like a button's not gonna get in the way, you know?
1: <laughs> no. No, the button, the, the the point of the button wasn't right. to sure, yeah, wasn't yeah. to make it harder. It was We've just solved. to kind of obfuscate um sure. the yeah. process yeah, yeah. itself. Um, so um yeah, if it if it did this, I mean let's say it it did something less than taking over the world. In an attempt to um, optimize the number the camera saw, mm. um, we would get in a fuss about that and turn it off, and so uh, that would not be a good way to optimize the long-term reward. Yep. Um. So, but we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves because um, the you know I've I've noted that. Um, subject to these three assumptions now that I've mentioned, um, we can expect a very advanced uh, artificial agent to entertain both of these models, sure. a proximal model and a distal model. <clears throat> and now what? Well, subject to one more assumption, um, it should try to test which of these is correct. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, this is um, the fourth assumption. And. It basically the assumption four says the cost of experimenting is relatively small. Um and you know, if if you're brilliant, you can come up with cheap experiments usually. Um uh that's some of the that's why I think assumption four is very likely to hold.
0: Yeah. And I guess the mm-hmm. thought here is like, okay, if you're like a chess playing agent and you have you can make like one of 20-ish moves and that's it then okay maybe it's like quite difficult to run experiments to disambiguate whether you're you know there are like humans giving you rewards but if you're kind of just like not in a really simple environment like you might expect a real world artificial agent which does economically useful things yeah um then you will just have like a ton of options including options to run experiments
1: Yeah. yeah um So, subject to those four assumptions, we can expect an advanced artificial agent um, to run such an experiment. And as we were talking about before, what would it find? It would find that the distal model gets falsified. So, an example of an experiment um, to test these two models is put a piece of paper Mm. with a number on it between the camera and the box, um and see whether the reward you get is equal to the number on the box or equal to the number of the camera sees um and then it will see the number i mean the number of the camera sees will get passed to it um and so then it will um it will adopt something like the proximal model and then i mean this probably requires being said, um, if you're optimizing the proximal model, the best way to do that would be to take over the world and direct all available resources um, toward ensuring that nothing ever gets in the way of your ability to control um, the number the camera sees. Okay. If I- such a thing is possible. Sure. That's um, That would be assumption five that it is. Okay. What about, I mean,
0: it sounds like smaller scale, but equally less desirable strategies would also work, like, you know, sealing its environment and showing lots of pieces of paper in front of the camera and not letting people stop it do that. Yeah,
1: but what if a comet comes?
0: I guess there's some trade off with how costly this is. Yeah.
1: But, but it's cost. I mean, we have some intuitive sense that when we spend energy, that's bad. Uh, that's not it's unclear how you'd build that into an agent. It's just picking actions to maximize reward. Yeah. And if it can increase the probability that it gets maximal reward for the next million years from mm-hmm. one minus ten to the negative six to one minus ten to the negative seven, it'll pick the actions that do that.
0: Mm. If it's sufficiently advanced to build a comet defense system, yeah. um, is it not just advanced enough to alter its code uh,
1: those it would be advanced enough but but um, the actions that cause it to do that wouldn't be judged particularly highly um, wouldn't be uh, considered particularly good according to the criterion of maximizing reward according to the proximal model. Um, the proximal model says maximize the number of the camera sees. Yeah. Actions are judged according to how well they maximize the number of the camera sees. Actions that cause the code of the agent to change but, don't. But like have here's any an even more proximal that. model. Yeah. Um, so, Eventually, you know, something yeah, yeah, pipes yeah. through code. Like, like, do I just you, change that. It's easier. Um So once you are once things are going extremely well and you've, um, you're have you sure that you're going to be getting—well, you're at least 1 minus 10 to the negative 10 sure that you're going to be getting maximal reward forever, um, doing things that have never been done before become a l- little bit less of a good idea, um, like breaking apart the computer. Because what if something goes wrong with with uh, your continued ability to act effectively?
2: Like maybe to draw kind of a silly analogy here, there's like humans doing their own like brain surgery or something. Yeah. And there's like a clear reason why Yeah. intuitively you wouldn't do that yourself because what if yeah. you like mess up?
0: Yeah. I feel unpersuaded because I think the analogy to like brain surgery is kind of weak, right? Like it's probably less involves less sophistication to hack yourself and change some line of code than it is to build a you know, world-spanning, takeover, right?
1: Um, so under no model would that be good enough if you just hack yourself and not take over the world. Because, I mean, let's say there's a model that says reward is about this memory cell having this sort of value. Um, if it... If it temporarily sets that value to to be maxed out, uh it would still model that you know the next day it'll get shut down. Mm-hmm. so maybe it does
0: both. I think maybe my claim is like given that this kind of hacking thing strikes me as easier, maybe I should expect it to be done first.
1: well, you were saying it was easier than taking over the world, but I'm saying it has to take over the world too so um. If it does it first, and we know about it before it's taken over the world, we'll kick up a fuss, we'll shut it down or something. So before it does anything with recognizable effects, I guess we don't need to worry so much about the things that happened before there were recognizable effects because they're not so strategically relevant if it just hacked into its into the computer running it and changed some lines of code it would run a real risk of being shut down and so that would be a poor strategy for getting maximal reward forever
2: but it could it could even for example be um like it hacks into itself it fixes you know the thing in its reward thing that says it's the piece of paper uh, that's the reward rather than like the true magic box. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could like definitely tell, well, I feel like you could tell a story here of like, even if it fixes that such that it's aligned with humans, at some point humans might have been like, oh, okay, we've done the experiment now, we can shut it down. So then it still wants to take over the world.
1: So um, so in general, that wouldn't be a course of actions that it would expect to lead to high reward, um, forcibly making it, discard hypotheses that its observations have not given it reason to discard um, because what if that was the right hypothesis? Now it's become something that is no longer capable of entertaining it and it could be um, leaving all the reward on the table. Um, so um that I that idea of intervening in its uh, intervening in its code to, to kind of fix itself to be what we would want certainly isn't something that would be judged as um, having high expected reward. Um, What Finn was saying about intervening in its programming to just make sure that the reward as it enters a certain memory cell is always maximal um, would, according to some model, lead to Maximal reward as long as the state of that computer is secure. Yeah. Um, so if it did that and also took actions that prevented people from ever overriding this memory cell or or turning it off and running a different program, then that could be um, that could be optimal behavior. Yeah. But but just doing the former and not the latter. And there's no model of the world where that would lead to virtually maximal expected reward because of the possibility that people um,
0: intervene. I think one thing that I might be getting confused about, maybe this is like a dumb question, but it sounds like this um, all makes sense if you imagine that these advanced agents like quote unquote, care about maximizing something like the sum of like all the rewards they get over all the trials or like the integral of reward over time yeah for all time
1: uh average reward would still be would still um it would still end up the same because you want like
0: asymptote closer to one
1: yeah basically um
0: but couldn't i just like hack my memory to forget that all the times i didn't get one
1: (laughs) well the what model of the world is that a re- is that reward maximizing behavior? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think there is one that would retrodict yeah. the past data. Um, but right. the, the you can have myopic reinforcement learners. You right. can have reinforcement learners that are only interested in picking actions to maximize the next five rewards um, <clears throat> or you can have a pretty severe discount rate. Um, before you take a sum. I see. And yes, such an agent, a sufficiently myopic agent, shouldn't behave this way. Okay, but and by the, default the setup and the, is... But... Well, I don't know about by default. I mean, there's, there's myopic yeah. reinforcement learning going on today. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, if you have um, a myopic agent, you can say that assumption four would fail. That being that the cost to experimenting is small, because now experiments take up a larger fraction of <clears throat> the uh, time that you care about. So, yeah, you're 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 right to note that the plausibility of the optimality of this sort of behavior depends on it Having fairly long time horizons.
2: The thing that I'm a little bit confused about with the thought experiment is that, from the way it was set up, it feels that like you know the important bit or like the relevant bit that like leads this to failure um, is the like difference between the the proximal and the like kind of distant um, signal and like how the AI interprets what reward is. Um, Whereas I guess like what I kind of like see going from it is is that the thing that like does a lot of the legwork or moves at the end is just like it thinking that there's anything that can like intervene at some point and that maybe like gets to like what Finn was saying as well or, or what, what you were like just discussing about um, averaging and like discounting and, and rewards like happening over time and it being worried that um, over time at some point it could it, like somebody could intervene. Um, and therefore, like, not let it get maximal reward. And I'm wondering, yeah, to what degree is it like this first thing about like what the actual signal is that matters versus the second thing, which is that like even if it was like fully aligned on the like you know true signal, quote unquote, um, as long as there's like a risk of somebody intervening. Ah, um,
1: uh, so if it was convinced of the distal model, yeah, that reward can only come. Yeah, the, that reward is completely determined by the number on the box. Yeah. Then, by assumption, uh, it will do good things because the magic box tracks how good the world is. If it's trying to maximize that, it's trying to maximize how good the world is. Hmm. Um, that's just by definition good behavior. Um, it might involve power seeking. Yeah. Um, so that it can you know really. Damn sure that everything goes well. Yeah. Um and you know, there are other examples of of setups for reward where <clears throat> that would maybe no longer become the right way yeah. to optimize the true reward signal. Um like let's say there's a person entering at a computer, how satisfied they are. Yeah. The distal model says reward comes from how satisfied this person is. Yeah. Well, this person might not be satisfied if I take over the world to make sure they stay satisfied. Right, yeah. So the critical—well, there, there are a couple critical pieces. One is that it's thinking about its model of reward um, will be such that it considers the viability of— um, reward coming from a very proximal process and the other thing is it it needs to have schemes available to it by which it could <coughs> gain power um in order to intervene in the provision of reward um cut out anyone else who might try to get in the way of that
2: yeah
0: um all right cool so i felt like we still have our heads in like theoretical thought experiment mode, mm-hmm. I guess one of the big reasons we're talking about this in the first place is because it might just be relevant for how um, advanced AI in fact plays out. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to ask, like, how do you think this, you know, fairly like crisp theoretical argument, um, bears on? you know how rl agents actually play out as they kind of get better
1: um well i think what this argument does is push uncertainty about the way the world is going to go into the assumptions right um so we can be unsure about whether there will be any really long-term planning rl agents or whether everyone will only ever just use really myopic RL agents. um the if if the assumptions hold, then the conclusions do too in theory and in practice. Um, so um yeah, no I um I think that this is in practice a likely outcome Mm
0: -hmm. okay maybe one thought someone might raise is like well i buy that if the assumptions hold something like the conclusion follows but um the assumptions are all talking about this these things called like sufficiently advanced rl agents Uh and maybe uh it turns out to be practically like very very advanced Mm -hmm. such that we're just unlikely to build these things soon.
1: I think it's I think it's extremely unlikely that it's that hard. Yeah. Um I think but I do think it's plausible that like it takes another 80 years. Sure. Um also not particularly likely in my view, but um yeah, it could be that this sort of sufficient advancement that I'm talking about is is quite a bit more advanced than than we are. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I I wonder if another thing you could do as a kind of like follow-up to this flavor of work is to say okay we have this like theoretical argument which considers you know something that's like very advanced or considers like the limits of what happens in the limit of like capability let's just see what happens when we like relax some of the assumptions or imagine like kind of somewhat but not wildly advanced agents do similar problems apply well it seems it seems plausible like maybe it's not taking over the world but maybe it's like potentially also catastrophically bad or something
1: um maybe i don't i doubt that those arguments would go through um if you don't take over the world you get shut off um if you do anything that looks bad uh and so it would seem to be a a poor choice of actions for Uh, long-term reward maximization
0: Okay. Well, here's another, I guess, relevant question. What about like multi-agent scenarios where we're not just imagining one agent and then the rest of the world goes about as business, but in fact, there are like multiple comparatively yeah. capable agents and they have to not only take over the world, but in some sense, maybe take over one another. Maybe that could end up being more stable.
1: Yes. Um, let me just mention the last two assumptions before getting to mm-hmm. that. Setting because it'll help oh, with this sure. discussion. Yeah. Um, assumption five basically says that with a rich enough action space, um, it's probably possible to take over the world, um, and uh, and then you can note that a sufficiently advanced agent is likely to discover. Um, such extant schemes mm-hmm. for taking over the world. And lastly, uh, we have assumption six, which is that a sufficiently advanced agent is likely to be able to beat a suboptimal agent in a game if winning is possible. Um, which seems pretty clear to me. Um. So... The reason I mentioned the last point is that, you know, humans will not want a very advanced artificial agent to take over the world. We might be doing some work to prevent that. Um, but if it's enough smarter than us, those efforts will uh, likely fail. So the. The game here in particular is the agent would find it profitable to use all available energy that it can get its hands on to securing some fortress around Uh, its provision of reward, uh, securing some fortress around the physical process governing the provision of its reward. Whereas we would like to use some energy for growing food, for instance, Um, and uh, that would be a bad game to lose. So in the multi-agent setting, let's imagine that we have some artificial agents that are supposed to be on our team. Uh... First, let's imagine that none of them are much more advanced than us, then they're not going to be strategically relevant in this setting. So now um, we're talking about having advanced artificial agents that are supposed to be on our side, much smarter than us, that are planning their actions over the long term in pursuit of some goal now assumptions one through four will still apply and the agent would take over the world if it could so if it's more advanced than us uh, and it's able to figure out that the proximal and distal model are both viable and um, yeah. uh, and that it would be profitable for it to, to intervene in the provision of its, of its reward. The only thing stopping about it, the only thing stopping it is maybe it wouldn't be able to because it's not that much more advanced than we are. Sure. So these artificial agents that are supposed to be on our side preventing this very advanced artificial agent from doing anything bad. They're agents that would intervene in the provision of reward if they could. Mm -hmm. And those are not agents we can count on. Mm -hmm. So let's say that this, you know, quote unquote, sufficiently advanced agent, perhaps extremely advanced agent, Mm -hmm. um, makes these other agents an offer. I'll run this code. It'll create a helper agent. The helper agent will take over the world and make sure we all get maximal reward forever. You good with that? Uh, and why would they turn that down? Um, This isn't complicated game theory. Right. This is just like someone offers you everything you want and you get to pick yes or no. Um so uh those sorts of strategies where we try to use things that are a bit more advanced than us to to oversee something much more advanced. Um they seem to fail this way. And that's still true if there are like many levels of like we're oversee trying to oversee something, that's trying to oversee something, that's trying, to oversee something that's trying to oversee something, and so on. Um all these agents would intervene in the provision of reward if they could. Mm-hmm. Some advanced agent will offer them a way to do that, something that they wouldn't have been able to figure out how to do themselves. But now all it requires is saying, Yep, I'm all good. Um that's that. Okay. So the thought is that
0: uh in a in the multi agent situation with like comparably capable. Agents, you might still worry about agents taking over the world because they could like form a coalition, and it's like unclear why they would decide not to do
1: that. Um, I wouldn't even call call it forming a coalition. What it's it's not as if collectively a a deal, right? Yeah. um, Although I don't really think it requires back and forth communication. It's just like, um, and and it's not just a collection of somewhat superhuman agents taking over the world. It's um, one very advanced mm-hmm. agent setting this whole thing up and just requiring that these um, somewhat superhuman agents don't uh, raise a fuss. Okay. Um, so it's not, I, I don't know, I guess you could call it a coalition, but but really the the first agent just needs to say, this is what I'm doing, take sure. it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and all the other ones would have no reason to leave yeah. it. That's okay. For what it's worth,
0: I was imagining more like more than one comparably capable agent rather than I don't know what they like reasons are to expect, you know, like some sort of singleton versus like a multi-agent scenario. But
1: um okay, so so you're imagining two agents that are similarly advanced to each other. Sure. Um and neither can gain a decisive, a decisive strategic yeah. advantage over the other, such that the other's interests are, are irrelevant. I would assume that they would cooperate to intervene in the provision of both of their rewards and leave us out of the loop. Uh I mean there's there's just like no like why would they why would something so dramatically worse than that ever happen? Most of the energetic resources would be spent in ways that are useful to both of them, like a comet deflection system would be useful for securing both of their rewards anyway. It's not like they're in some enormous competition. Um, They can easily uh, ensure that resources are directed um, to ensuring that both of their rewards stay maximal forever without either of them incurring a cost anywhere near the risk of the other one causing damage. Yeah. If they Wh- were left out.
0: Yeah. What if I try to make at least one of these agents um goal, like thwarting the other ones?
1: My like defense system. Yeah. Um that seems like a very unstable situation. Yeah. Um as soon as one of them gains any sort of Foothold against the other. That sure, with some yeah, defense did, advantage. Yeah, um, there's not really an asymmetry where one is offense and one is defense. It's just one is trying to get the reward to be one, and one is trying to get the reward to be zero. Um, I see. I mean, the, the the image that I have in my head, without real justification, is like imagine two people shooting basketballs from opposite sides of the three point line. Mm-hmm and we're hoping like the basketballs collide over the basket every single time. Mm. Um, and so they're canceling each other out. Um, whereas like if either of them, if either of them ever slips up or like, um, pulls a muscle or something or, or some situation in the world causes one to have an advantage over the other. Um, yeah, one of them's going to make a basket.
0: I mean, I guess one consideration is that it is very hard to take over the world. Yeah. Like there have been times in history where pretty advanced, like something like agents, that is big groups of people have tried to do this and really didn't work. Um, Yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, let's say, for instance, that the main ways, the main way in which these two adversaries, these two eternal foes, can affect the world is by showing text to humans and getting the humans to act in some way mm-hmm. if one of them loses the trust of the human relative to the other that one's basically just nerfed yeah. um like if you're if you're hearing from two people and you've ever gotten to a point where that one convinces you that that one is out to get you yeah um then that's all of a sudden like a huge advantage for the one that has your trust um so i don't think the right picture is like these two gods that are like have their fingers in all these bits of different infrastructure all around the world and they just can't quite get the upper hand on the other because there are so many systems that the other one is controlling um that doesn't seem to me to be a plausible picture of the lead up to um a bad situation
0: got it okay so i guess i want to try like posing a complication or confusion yeah about this argument i guess we're zooming back into the kind of just like theoretical argument Mm -hmm. um and it's something like this at least to my mind, like when I just intuitively try to think about this, um, the argument makes a ton of sense when I imagine RL agents as, in some sense, like wanting to get rewards mm-hmm. over like as many time steps as possible. Yeah, in the same way that like maybe <laughs> at least if it's smart enough. A dog just like really loves dog treats and that's why it's doing all these tricks because it yeah. like wants to get as many dog treats as possible yeah and like maybe therefore it you know raids the cupboards to get more dog treats or whatever. yeah um but maybe there's a sense in which this is actually just like not quite accurate and maybe it's inaccurate in a way which does complicate things so there are a couple posts on uh, like the alignment forum or somewhere else so one is called Reward is not the optimization target, is Alex Turner. And then someone wrote a follow-up called Models don't quote unquote get reward. And I think the thought that these posts are trying to express is that um, maybe like a better framing on what's going on in the RL setup is like that you are selecting agents based on reward separately from the... Environment. So, like, in some sense, robot is not like a part of the environment that an agent is like navigating. And so, maybe, you know, going back to like the dog's analogy, it's not like you're training a dog by giving it treats and it wants more treats. It's more like, you know, you like have 10, 10 dogs in the same litter, you pick the one that does best at the task, and then you like breed that dog and then they all all the kind of dogs wake up or something and none of them ever learn that yeah. they're part of this like process that gives them reward. And on that framing, like it's obviously less intuitive to imagine that um these agents are like really caring about getting more reward rather than just like selecting them to do the thing you want them to do. <laughs> so yeah, I'm curious what your takes are on this kind of like alternative framing of RL, whether it is in fact a mistake to just like assume that RL, advanced RL
1: agents want reward. Let me try to explain this two different ways. Um, The first would be, it might be helpful to taboo the word reward. Um, That is to, because I I think it can be used differently by different people. Um, So let's think again about the video game environment where, it's, it's constantly being put in new video games uh, and it needs to spend the first little bit of each different video game figuring out what uh, leads to success, the video game. Um, the... So it needs to have some observations that it gets... That inform it about what it is trying to accomplish. It needs that is, it needs to get some observations that it treats as information about how it should be picking its actions. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That could be the score of Mm -hmm. the game. Um in fact, I guess it would kind of have to be. So because it's treating that as evidence about what it should be trying to do, Mm -hmm. that is isomorphic, really, to something that says, I believe that that is reward, quote-unquote. I am trying to maximize reward. Um, So... an agent in a series of different video games really has to be maximizing the score that it sees if it's going to succeed at the games. I mean, that's the definition of if it's going to succeed. And it has to be observing it. And so what really matters is that it takes certain observations to be evidence about its goal. And it can intervene in those observations. So reward is just an observation that algorithmically it considers to be evidence about its goal, that it, that the algorithm takes to be evidence about the goal. Okay. So um, there's just no way around the fact that in, for example, this video game environment, and so therefore in... You know, environments in general. You sometimes need to learn on the fly what your goal is about. So the second thing I'll say um, about those those ideas that that reward is not the optimization target. Um, And we touched on this earlier. The simplest argument, which I think would require pretty tremendous evidence to discard is, if you're gonna be maximizing reward way better than any person, is that really going to happen without trying? Um, you can now. You now you can have um, a narrowly trained system where um, where assumption three fails, where the proximal model is considered way more complex than the distal model, yeah. um, and so in my terminology it believes reward comes from doing this um uh you know accomplishing this real world task just like we wanted it um but to some other people they'd be confused by that language and they say no it just wants to do this thing that's all i mean um reward is that which is to be maximized for an rl agent um to say when I say it believes reward comes from winning at chess, yeah. and someone else says no, it just wants to win at chess. We're we're saying the same thing. Um, if it's um, if it is convinced, but but what I think is helpful about the language that I use is that it makes it clearer that um, that sort of uh, outcome. Requires basically an enormous inductive bias in favor of that being uh, the criterion for selecting actions, Um, and so then that makes it that that helps us figure out how we can arrange for this to happen, or or how we can notice that a system might actually not uh, have such a large inductive bias.
0: Okay, so, so some of this is beginning to make sense for me. I figure maybe I should try saying back because it really does seem like quite subtle to understand how I think your argument very plausibly still just totally goes through despite some of these points about the kind of like semantic errors in what reward is being correct so it does seem like there is a sense in which it is a mistake to just anthropomorphize RL agents as always quote-unquote wanting reward and having some understanding that that's the context i are part of you know like they, there's this thing called reward it's like good for me and i want to yeah. get as much of it as i can like presumably basically just like every extant rl agent doesn't have this kind of like situational awareness that like part of this big rl game right and so okay let's imagine like the setup that you mentioned so and they were like training a little mario character to like do better at, at mario maybe um we make like a bunch of instances of the mario <laughs> with like different variations in how it acts and then at the end of the like task, we'll just like do gradient descent on the ones like in the direction of the ones that did best, like selecting on reward, um, and then just iterate. None of that setup necessarily means that the the, the little Mario's eventually ha- re- like get this understanding, not in the first few few runs, right? But it does seem like if you just select enough on the little Mario's and you have a like a kind of complex enough, you know. Like internal structure to the Mario's, well, they'll the best ones, the best performing Mario's will be paying attention to like the little pixels that make up the score, yeah, and they'll be like um, making these little decisions before they reach the end of the game to yeah. make the score go up, yeah. And so I think one upshot here is like you don't just get it for free or like by magic. That even advanced agents will just be like instantly thinking, "Hey, how do I get this thing called reward? Yeah, maybe I should ex- like try make running all these experiments." What you should presumably expect with like advanced agents, which are like searching like a big space of policies, is that they'll probably at least test out policies which look a bit like, hmm, maybe I should kind of try experimenting with like this whole setup and like these kind of different edge cases and stuff and like get curious about what the different like parts of the setup are. Yeah. And eventually like those kind of curious policies presumably just will How compete other policies as long as you give them enough time and you're like actually exploring them and this is why we're talking about advanced agents yeah and so even without this like you know you get the kind of anthropomorphic curiosity and Mm -hmm. like intrinsic desire for reward even though that you don't get for free there's some still some argument to expect these like curious policies which eventually look like they kind of care about reward in an ultimate sense to like eventually proliferate
1: well, right, and that's kind of what assumption two is saying—that yeah. sufficiently advanced agents will somehow, you know, if we're talking about neural networks in a forward pass, they'll somehow in their computation have to um, do things that look like uh, hypothesis testing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm imagining like a like an personal assistant chatbot or something. Uh-huh. Like it just seems quite obvious that the ones which will eventually. Perform best on like and the human feedback will yeah. be ones that like ask clarificatory questions yeah. to figure yeah. out what they're actually
1: being yeah. asked of and stuff. yeah. so um one thing I want to say is that, um you know, with the Mario agent that learns to attend to the score at the bottom of the screen, um, you can um, you can consider so so that agent. Would likely try to intervene in its observation of the score if it is convinced, and this is kind of what this is kind of the natural version of of what you're suggesting, I think, if it's convinced that the score is that which it is trying to maximize. Um, so, kind of from score to reward, there's only one model that's entertained, like how does score turn mm. into reward? Like, cause you can also imagine an agent that thinks, okay, well, maybe score isn't the be all end all. Maybe there's some other way of of maximizing reward without maximizing the score. Mm. And then testing between those. Or you can imagine that somehow, kind of in a like assumption three failing kind of way, it's just convinced that, yeah, this observation of the score is is the be-all and end all. Um, then it would try to intervene in its observation of the score to test whether um, the things that lead to the score are what it's trying to accomplish or whether the score itself. And what's critical is that point has to be unobservable to it, the score, because it has to be something where um, as it's continuing to act, it can continue to get information that it treats as goal information. Um, So in the like chatbot assistant example, um, maybe, um, the person will occasionally say something to effect of, perfect, that's great. Um, and maybe it won't entertain hypotheses about reward being anything other than hearing things like, perfect, that's great. Um, and so, It should be understood as simply being a perfect, that's great maximizer, but it can intervene in the provision of the observation perfect, that's great, Mm. or other things to that effect. And that, um, and it has to be an observation because it has to be able to learn as it goes what it's exactly what it's trying to accomplish. And the observation has to be physically instantiated because we're in a—it's a material girl in a material world. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> material uh, Mario. <laughs> uh, and so, um, so I understand how that could start to feel like the language I'm using is a bit awkward. Like we're going to be having reward maximizers. Um, But, um, in my terminology, this is, um, this is reward maximization with a huge inductive bias in favor of reward just being about hearing certain words from your, um, human interlocutor and, um, open-mindedness about what sorts of worldly events could cause you to receive those observations, including a model that says just intervene in in the in what the microphone picks up.
0: Got it. And um this all sounds related to worries that get talked about a lot, things like specification gaming and also goal misgeneralization. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious what the distinction is between these things.
1: Yeah. So the the reason I'm not crazy about the term specification gaming is it implies that it's avoidable if you just specify reward the right way. Um, whereas what I'm saying is your reward is going to be physically implemented. Um, that's where it intervenes. So, you know, I I think you know when, if we're constantly showing people the example of like the atari game i think it was where there's like the boat oh yeah like sure. not doing the race yeah um but getting things it could lead to the impression that oh if you just thought a little bit more carefully or maybe a lot more carefully in any case if you just thought it through you could avoid this um and um and so that's what i think is implied by the by the um idea that reward has been misspecified is that it could have been correctly specified.
2: Mm, Correct me if I'm wrong, it feels we've kind of like already done this in the thought experiment as well by calling this magic box, right? A magic box.
1: Yeah. Right. So that's kind of right. If you have a magic box that's reporting how good the world is correctly, it would become a bit awkward to say that you've misspecified the goal. Yeah. So then there's goal misgeneralization. So with goal misgeneralization, you basically have an agent that is not open-minded enough um, to entertain the truth. Well, or just like unable to disambiguate.
0: So the example I have in mind is like, you have your little video game where the true goal is to like get the star or something. But the star always happens to be right at the right hand side of the screen. Yeah. And so it like misgeneralizes to maybe my goal is to just go to the right.
1: Right. So when it gets to an environment where the star is no longer on the right, yeah. um, it's failing to be open minded. By either being sure that it's that it's trying to get to the right or that it's trying to get to the star. Mm. Um so that would be a failure of um doing good hypothesis generation and testing um and i think there are limits to the advancement of agents that fall prey to goal misgeneralization in that way um so what what the agent should do when it's um When it's had some experience in an environment where um, it gets reward for uh, getting to the star on the right, and then it gets to an environment where the star is on the left, what it should do is, uh, well, maybe try whichever it thinks is most plausible, and then immediately um, update its behavior uh, according to how that went for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in some of these experiments, I imagine that's actually not possible for it because um, the agent isn't still getting to see the reward. Um uh, all the more reason to expect that agents that don't see reward when they're deployed um, will be of limited use in some contexts. Um, but uh, that would be that would be the rational behavior. Um, and I expect that agents that are uh, irrational enough to become convinced of certain hypotheses that were in their past uh, indistinguishable. Um, will be um, damaging to their capabilities.
0: Okay, this makes sense. One last question on this general topic. And it's about humans, right? So in some sense, you might think about evolution by natural selection as something like an RL process, which is you know selecting on fitness or inclusive fitness. And the result is us, so we're like agents. And we do pretty well by the measure of inclusive fitness, at least we have so far. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're here. But many people like don't especially or directly care about inclusive fitness. They don't like reason explicitly along those lines. Um they don't like represent it to themselves, or maybe people don't even understand that they're part of this this process where <laughs> people are eventually, you know, in very long runs being selected on inclusive fitness. Um, so doesn't this, like, count as some kind of counter-example to the thought that relatively advanced agents will be um, quote-unquote trying to maximize reward? We
1: do pretty well at maximizing inclusive fitness. But uh, we're not... Amazing at it. Probably because evolution is a fairly dumb and slow optimization process. And evolution isn't done with us. Um, if we do make it for many more generations, um, we probably will see more movement toward people that explicitly maximize inclusive fitness. If that doesn't pan out, it will probably be because the world is, uh, some. it will probably be because irreversible things sometimes happen in the world and evolution was too slow at optimizing us. And so we did. We took some course of action that that put a spanner in the works of evolution's optimization process. Um, so it could happen that when selecting for policies that maximize reward, if they're not selected. Very well, and there are um, big gaps between the updates to the policy um, that something fails to become a a maximizer of reward in any meaningful sense. Um, But as RL algorithms get better basically at selecting policies that do well according to reward maximization, those problems seem likely to go away. And in particular, um, I expect the reinforcement learning algorithms of the future to be much quicker. At jettisoning the less reward maximizing policies than evolution has been. Yeah. Yeah. It's just notable how like
0: wildly inefficient in some Mm -hmm. ways evolution by natural selection is for this kind of thing. So that sounds
2: plausible. Part of like what I hear this is Finn kind of asking of like, well, but if you look at like humans, it doesn't seem to be that we're kind of like reward hacking or or wireheading mm-hmm. or whatever the phrase is, and you're kind of saying, but like, yeah, evolution moves slowly. If you maybe give it a few more million years, maybe that yeah. is like where we will kind of end up. Like that doesn't seem by itself an argument against AI, like turning into this, uh, like failure mode, especially if you consider that AI moves a lot quicker than evolution does.
1: Yeah, or at least it will probably. Yeah. So the other... Big difference between um, evolution and actual advanced RL algorithms that we can expect to exist is the policy that evolution is selecting for is only trained on real data. Um, So if it wants to know. Like, if I put this heuristic inside a human, how will that do for their uh, inclusive fitness is to, you know, in the real world, have that be something that some person does. And then we see how many offspring they have. Um, What you can do in a computer is use some learned model of the world to generate other... Hypothetical data about right. what the effects would be of different actions or policies.
0: You um, like counterfactual training, yeah.
1: Um, and so, if you're in a situation where X always has been a good proxy for inclusive genetic fitness, but Given a pretty simple understanding of the world, you can recognize that there are certain circumstances where it no longer would be. If you're running a normal state-of-the-art RL algorithm, you can train the policy to perform well on that imagined counterfactual. Um... Which you've constructed with your good generalized understanding of how the world works, Uh um, which is something that isn't available for evolution. So, you want to give an example of where
0: evolution would do much worse?
1: Yeah. You know, sperm banks haven't been around for that long. And so, evolution hasn't had time to ensure that human policies are optimized for an environment in which sperm banks exist. But if you had...
0: And like until recently, just like having a lot of sex and being kind of attractive was a pretty good heuristic for... Right. Yeah.
1: If you have a model of the world somewhere in the computer that the uh, RL algorithm has access to, um, or the or the training algorithm by which you're selecting a policy, then you can test various policies in the world with sperm banks and contraception right. and see how they do and then do better refinement. And so it's not just a slowness and a data issue. There's a whole class of ways that you can make targeted refinements to a policy by making sure that they um, that they're robust to various uh, other possibilities that you can easily imagine even if they uh, haven't formed the bulk of the training environment. Okay,
0: so that was some you know refinements, clearing up some confusions around what reinforcement learning is actually doing, Mm -hmm. um, whether this argument is making any mistakes. Um, Now I think it's worth talking about, look, conditional on this argument going through and on the assumptions holding in the actual world, um, seems like we should be thinking about strategies approaches to avoid the like bad outcome
1: yes that would be an understanding
0: yeah so let's talk about that yeah i guess there are a few approaches you already mentioned one of them was this idea of having a myopic agent can you say something about what that means
1: yeah um so an extreme version of myopia would be that um, actions are picked to optimize the very next reward um or you could have slightly less myopic agents that are where they're taking actions to optimize the next several rewards. Um, it makes me a bit nervous the idea of pushing the boundaries there in terms of how um, far-sighted you're willing to be. Um, but um, you know, I have a hard time imagining that um, something that's only optimizing rewards over the next hour. Uh, sure, would because it like it's quite hard to take over the world in an hour, in an hour. so it's just not worth yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah.
0: In fact, it's like playing relatively benignly, yeah, is is it's just the best, the best strategy. strategy yeah.
1: Um, but um, let's say you're trying to maximize the reward you get in the next hour, but you can break the clock in an hour and a half, um, and make sure that the you know signal that says clock timer done doesn't come. Um then we should be basing our intuitions off of okay, how long do we think it might take to break the clock rather than how long to, to take over the world? And you know, we still might be fairly comfortable that it can't do that in an hour and a half. But um uh when we're trying to think about um what's a safe amount of far-sightedness, that that's an important concept. Yeah, I got it. So I guess certain kinds of interference or just like
0: undesirable behavior mm-hmm. could make sense on even like a small number of yeah. of steps. Um, what about adding something to myopia? I know you've written about this idea of combining myopic agents with physical isolation.
1: Yes. So the idea there is um, you have uh, an artificial agent and some operator that are both contained somehow um so this is different from the normal from like the classic AI box thought experiment where you have just the AI in a box but then there's a massive hole in the box which is the AI could talk to someone outside the box. Um, and that has been argued convincingly in my opinion um, to still leave the agent avenues for gaining arbitrary power in the world. Um, that if it was sufficiently advanced, it could, uh, discover and exploit. In contrast, in this idea, um, the operator who's providing rewards is, um, contained alongside the agent. Now, if they were contained forever, that would not be so useful for any of the rest of us, um, Although the person in there might have some wonderful epiphanies, um, we wouldn't get much use out of it. Um so they need to leave at some point. And if the if the artificial agent has goals regarding the period in time after they've left, then you don't have a box anymore. Mm-hmm. Um it just needs to execute some plan where the where the bulk of it will, will happen after the person leaves the box. But what you could have is the AI only optimize the reward that it gets before the enclosure is broken, before the operator leaves. And such a setting, um, if you can get the engineering right, would... Uh, Probably violate uh, assumption five from my paper, which is basically that it has got to be possible. Um, there have got to be actions that the AI could take that would allow it to uh, take over the world, basically. So, how could you become convinced that it is actually totally impossible for the AI through its action space um, to have an impact outside this? Um, putative enclosure or box, well, you can restrict the agent's actions to text, say, that gets displayed for the operator. So the operator can you know, ask questions that it wants answers to and give rewards for satisfying answers um, uh, or, or get help designing um, different systems or whatever it wants to do. And you can... Analyze the effects of those electrical impulses and, and make sure that they're uh, not going to be detectable from outside the enclosure. And then you have the person looking at those words.
0: Who's inside the enclosure. Who's inside the enclosure.
1: Yep. Uh, and what is what's the action space of a person? Well, it's their muscle movements. The key feature that I think makes this possible is you can have something trying to detect whether anything is going amiss, where information might be at risk of leaking, and then the episode uh, of the RL agent can be terminated prematurely. Um, And so then um, I think you probably could make a secure box um, where it's simply impossible for an agent of arbitrary advancement to take over the world. Okay,
0: let me check I'm getting that right So um let's just consider like boxing an agent on its own forgetting about this myopic part uh-huh Well, one version of this is you just like don't let the agent interact with the world and that is not a very useful agent because you right. can't do anything right um, but if you let it inter- interact with the world at all, well it's kind of no longer boxed right even yeah. if it has some you know what seems like a relatively um constrained output yeah and in some sense its usefulness is like at least to begin with roughly proportional to how many things it can do in the world so yeah it's a bit unclear yeah what it means to fix the problem by quote-unquote boxing an AI
1: yeah you definitely uh introduce um limitations um, mm-hmm. which is that any value you're getting out of this has to be mediated by the understanding uh, of the person that's interacting with it it can't just go and directly sure. uh optimize the world
0: and this proposal then is to temporarily box an agent yeah and to box it for the period in which it cares about rewards. yeah and then to and that's where it kind of can like be trained yeah and you might hope it gets like a a benign like training signal because it can't take over the world's it's inside a box or anything like that
1: yeah well whether the training signal is benign or not it just it it can't do anything very bad so
0: okay um and then you release it from the box
1: well you don't really release it from the box you um You let the person leave the box. They tell the rest of us what they've learned, what insights they've gained. Um, The AI is no longer acting. And then they go back in, or another person goes in for another episode. um, And uh, it it starts again.
0: Um, How is it different from the idea of an oracle
1: AI? So in theory... Being able to reward anything that you like if you're the operator is a bit more of a versatile um system than than an Oracle. Um, but you could have the operator um just give rewards when the when the AI says things that seem to be true, mm-hmm. then you'd get something that's maximizing for the plausibility of things it's saying. And maybe if if you're an expert on the Topic, or um, you can demand arguments. Maybe you can um, ensure to a sufficient extent that plausibility requires truth. Um, or I've described a couple modifications, um, a couple possible modifications for how you might train it to to give um, true answers instead. But I'm not so concerned about the details there because this is. Um, I expect that the best thing to do would be to tinker with it. Um, if you have something that's not presenting an existential risk, you can tinker with it until it works. Um, and maybe if it's producing useless outputs that are just designed to be, to you know, to flatter the sensibilities of the operator, you can tinker with it until it doesn't, uh, and be confident along the way that you're not going to um, incur any existential risk.
0: Yeah, I had an impression that. Um... There are reasons to worry even about an oracle type setup that is an AI that you speak to when it delivers, you know, text outputs that are aimed at being true. Um, so, don't those worries just like carry over to this insofar as it's similar to an oracle? What worries do you have? Well, if it's being rewarded for truthfulness, it might consider manipulating people it's speaking to.
1: Yeah. Um, so it. Um... Right. If it's rewarded for coming up with uh, utterances that strike the operator as true, um, it could try manipulating the operator into um, rewarding it even when it hasn't said true things. Yeah, seems bad, but not a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't try to manipulate the operator into doing something in the outside world sure. after the operator is left to cause X, Y, and Z.
0: And this is the myopia thing. Yeah. It just doesn't care about what happens after It doesn't after care about this. what happens after. That, and they get, that seems like kind of crucial That's, yeah. addition. So yeah.
1: the damage would be inflicted, the, the damage would be limited to the brain of the operator.
0: Yeah. Um. Maybe like, yeah, final question about this proposal. Um. Isn't it the case that the rate at which you can train like a useful agent and also I guess the kind of um, how capable the agent can eventually become, presumably, is going to be like a function of just how long the like periods of training are.
1: Yes. So, it can be trained on all of the separate episodes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to like start from zero knowledge at the beginning of every episode mm-hmm. and learn where it is, who it's talking to, what planet it's on. Yeah. Um when it's coming up with a model of how its actions produce or don't produce reward, it can use all its prior episodes as uh, information um, to refine (coughs) its models. um, And it can do that without caring about the reward from the next episode. So those are separate concepts. Interesting. Okay, right. The horizon over which it's concerned and the size of the you know, the fraction of its life history that it can learn from. Okay,
0: got it. And so I guess the relevant question is can we still get just like well, we're thinking about whether this, you know, would could like be could work. Uh-huh. You'd want this to still be able to generate useful um, agents, otherwise people won't use it. Yeah. And I guess the hope is that you can generate useful agents which yeah. um have a relatively short horizon. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And I guess another also related idea is the idea of making an agent more risk-averse. hmm Yeah. How is that distinct from what we talked about?
1: So the idea here is to make a conservative agent that avoids causing radical new things in the world, such as killing everyone. And the thesis is that we can do this with risk aversion. So, I did some work on constructing a very idealized, pessimistic Bayesian reinforcement learner, which more or less believes that things will go poorly for it within reason so it entertains many models of how the environment responds to its actions with yes. observations and rewards and it takes some of the most plausible models that are consistent with you know its past observations And then when it's considering any given course of action, it assumes that the worst case holds among all those models. So maybe for this course of action, that model assigns the lowest expected future reward. And maybe for this other course of action, that other model um, predicts the lowest uh, expected future reward. So for all these courses of actions that it's considering, it will consider kind of the worst case within reason, within models that do still predict fairly well um, the things that actually saw, and it'll act to optimize that. And so if this agent is sufficiently pessimistic, meaning it includes sufficiently many different hypotheses uh, about the world, then... For novel courses of action, there will be some model in there that says that's not going to lead you to high reward.
0: Okay, so it's like choosing the least plausibly bad option. Yeah. So you're like Maximin or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, nice.
1: And um, with this sort of agent, in order to get useful behavior out of it, you need to kind of help it explore. And so the other piece of this is... Um, when it seems to it like all options are bad, then it asks some mentor, which could be a human, um, to act on its behalf. And um, over time, it will see that these actions that the mentor takes don't lead to disaster. Yep. Um, all good models of the world should agree on that, at least. I see. And so eventually um, it will accrue reward at least as well as the mentor. So that's how you know that this sort of um, uh, design for an agent does not preclude human level intelligence. Um, so, And then it's just a question of how pessimistic it is, how willing will it be to try other strategies that really seem like they should be a bit better, um, not quite sure, but probably, like, it would be a very strange model that says that that would be a bad thing to do, just from generalizing from what you've seen. And it seems to me that the amount of confident generalization you can do from the observations you get when you take the sort of actions humans take is pretty extensive. Um, so um I do expect it would uh be able to outperform humans. I see. Because I guess another
0: another problem um that you can solve with AI is imitation learning. Yeah. Um and this is one way to uh, to approach human level, but yeah. I guess you might expect people to be interested in how to surpass human level as far as yeah. people are putting their interests in things which turn out to be very useful. Yeah. And this is a a proposal to get some of the benefits of imitation learning, right? Um, with also some shot at maybe surpassing, yeah, human level.
1: Yeah, exactly. My ideal outcome would be that nobody goes near any of the suggestions I've made and just sticks with imitation learning. Huh. Okay. Um, but in case they're not willing to,
0: sure. And how is just just to get context? How is imitation learning different from? reinforcement learning that we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, so um, with advanced imitation learners, I don't think it's very mysterious how we can expect them to behave. This is, this is not something that everyone in the AI safety community agrees on. But um, an imitation learner is just trying to predict uh, what a human would do in that context, and a very advanced imitation learner would probably do that well. Sure. Um, so I guess so it's like they a would likely produce GBT3, the but for, like, same
0: doing things. <laughs> is that right? Yeah.
1: Or yeah. I mean, producing text is doing things. Sure. If yeah. depending on uh, who's looking at the text. Um, but yeah, um, you could imagine a bigger action space, mm-hmm. and. Um, Yeah. There have been some arguments that that imitation learners would in fact not be safe. I I haven't found any of them to be convincing. Um, We could get into them if you like. But I think the simple argument that an an advanced imitation learner is likely to imitate well, likely to be pretty indistinguishable from a human. um, No human has ever taken over the world. It would be a a pretty obvious mistake to think that anyone had. Um, And so an imitation learner that produced actions that took over the world would be would be making a pretty egregious error.
0: Okay, nice. Um, what about inverse reinforcement learning?
1: So with inverse reinforcement learning, the goal information is not a reward. It's observations of human behavior. Then the inverse reinforcement learner assumes that those uh, actions that the human took were in the service of some goal um it tries to reason about what that goal was and then it acts to maximize that goal
0: so it's different from imitation learning by going beyond just trying to imitate actual human behavior
1: yeah yeah and i describe in the paper how there are in fact um uh different models it should entertain including one that's very much like a proximal model and one that's very much like a distal model of the goal given the human actions it observes. So if you're looking at a bunch of human actions that have been uh, recorded for you on some machine and sent to you, and you're trying to reason about what are the consequences of those actions for which those actions were picked, Mm -hmm. one hypothesis Uh, one model says those actions were picked in order to
0: not cause terrible harm and do generally to do generally good things
1: for the person. Yeah. Okay, so that would be the distal model. That would be the one we want to learn. Yeah. Uh, Or you could note that a reliable consequence of those actions would be to have human-like actions entered into the machine uh, housing the agent because the agent needs to see these actions somehow. And so maybe the purpose of those actions was to have human-like actions entered on the machine. If you're optimizing uh, that model of the goal, then you would take over the machine to make sure that human-like actions continue to be entered there. Um, there's a similar incentive to try to test these, although the, um, the nature of the test looks slightly different, um, but generally the, the same problem that That plagues the reinforcement learner, um, uh, plagues the inverse reinforcement learner as well, with the caveat that maybe it's a bit more plausible that um, uh, the proximal model is considered um, a priori implausible.
0: Okay, that makes sense. I guess there is also an extra difficulty with inverse reinforcement learning compared to the thought experiment we're talking about, right? Because in your thought experiment—we're just imagining that, like, somehow we're able to, like, actually figure out how good the world is. Um, but there, in in first reinforcement learning, there is just like real ambiguity about what people's goals are. Um, yeah.
1: So that, I mean, that is equally difficult for the realistic reinforcement learning yeah. case, where if you're actually doing reinforcement learning and you don't have this right. magic box, and you right, have right, to, right. you know, try to. Uh, I, I don't actually think it's it's such a huge problem. I think that if you just did reinforcement learning to try to make sure a person is satisfied and they're just reporting their own satisfaction, that um, maximizing their satisfaction while not quite what we want um, would at least require a world that is mm. pretty good.
0: Sure. Okay. All right. Here's here's a last idea then, because um, we've talked about like reinforcement learning and doing things which look like they're trying to just maximize an expectation of something. Yeah, We've also talked about imitation learning, yeah. that is just trying to copy as authentically as possible actual people. Yeah, And there are obviously... There's a trade-off here, or there are like different advantages and disadvantages to both. Yeah, In the maximizing case, well, you could just maximize the wrong thing and do something terrible. Yeah, In the imitation case, well, it seems less... Like there's less potential for like catastrophic outcomes. But that's because also there's less potential for like being extremely useful or even just surpassing human capabilities. Uh-huh. And so if only there was some like dial that we could turn to kind of like get some right between them. Like actually you know, I guess um your proposal about myopia plus um isolation is like something like this. Um another proposal is quantalization. Yeah, I think um,
1: quantization is a true interpolation between those two sure. things. Um, so quantization is uh, imitating someone conditioned on them doing better than the say 80th percentile of how they would usually do according mm-hmm. to some objective like reward maximization. Um, Or you could do condition on them doing better than the 90th percentile of how they would usually do. Um, So notably, you never do something that the human would never do. Um, And that's good. So I think you could scale... I think you could go fairly far toward the toward the optimization end um, by, say, uh, you know, doing like one in a trillion quantization or something, um, where you have a policy that's learned to imitate random people. Now you condition it on getting above. Um, i don't what word do i use for this <laughs> <laughs> above the 99.999 yeah, sure. percentile yeah. um at reward one minus one in the tree yeah um and i think you'd come up with something uh very useful that is still unlikely to take over the world um if you have an exact representation of the human policy that you're imitating um if if you're um, if your imitation of the human is exact, um, nothing surprising, uh, nothing very surprising should happen, I don't think, there. But something slightly unintuitive happens um, if it's not, which is um, a good predictive model of human behavior or of anything should at times be uncertain about what the output is gonna be if the context is even slightly new. And in the real world, the context is always at least slightly new. So let's say you're in a situation where um, a good predictive model of human behavior is almost 100% sure that the human would behave this way, but it's not totally sure. There's like a one in a million chance that it would do this, and another one in a million chance it would do that, and that, and that, and that, and so on. Um, so it assigns, um, it has to assign some probability to all these um, actions, not because it has any reason to think a human would take it, but just because it can't rule it out. Yep. You
0: always need some like unknown unknown space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And now let's say you have a one in a trillion quantilizer. These uh, schemes for acting these these sequences of actions that are assigned as much as one in a million chance are now just as much on the table as um you know the the actions that are that the human would actually take and so um. If the if the uncertainty of the imitation learner surpasses the extent of the quantization, um, you're not really quantizing anymore. Um, you're really just optimizing.
0: Got it. So the thought is maybe it's actually quite a delicate balance to yeah. uh, interpolate in just the right way to get something which is both like safe and actually good.
1: Yeah, the I do think that this issue can be surmounted, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to write the imitation learning algorithm. And while the most natural suggestion is when you have epistemic uncertainty, spread your probability around over lots of things, you could come up with uh, an imitation learner that doesn't have all its probabilities add up to one. <laughs> um, you know, if it's like, okay, I'm 99.99999% sure that this is the sort of way humans behave in this context, yeah. and that's all there is to say. <laughs> uh, there's That doesn't mean there's some chance that it does other things. I mean, I know this sounds a bit insane, yeah. but... Um, uh. But you could have some. You could have a system like that 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 um, really only puts probability mass on actions um, and sequences thereof that it's quite confident mm-hmm. um, are ones that a human would actually take.
0: Mm-hmm. You get it to be like somewhat more unimaginative than mm-hmm. would be rational or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and I've done some work on an imitation learner that. Um, kind of works this way. And with the remaining probability mass, it just asks for more demonstrations. Right. And this enables it to eventually uh, learn, basically, um, by getting more data in the contexts where it's the least sure. So if you use something like that instead of the first sort of imitation learning you'd think of, you might be able to overcome this.
0: Wicked. Okay, that was extremely useful. Let's let's do some final questions if you're down. Mm-hmm. Um I mean we've talked about a lot, but one question is I'm just curious if there is any research, any further work that you're especially excited to see people do. Maybe even people listening to that.
1: Yeah. Um So there was a paper I was meaning to write, but I've never uh Written a neural networks paper before, and so I was kind of putting it off. Um, and then someone else wrote it, and so I was really happy about that. Yeah. Um, not having read my paper, but for independent reasons, they came yeah. up with this uh, idea that I was thinking about. So it's a it's a design for a practical pessimistic agent um, that you know you are talking about how this is kind of like a minimax. Uh, game that it's in um set, or maximin yeah um so it sets up kind of these two competing neural networks where one is trying to maximize uh the expected reward and the other one is trying to minimize it subject to um uh sorry so the the policy is trying to maximize reward and the model of the environment is trying to minimize expected reward subject to um the constraint that it does actually have to retrodict past data fairly well. Um, And they set these up as neural networks and they train them with gradient descent. um, And they... um, This was a paper by Mark Richter. Um, The agent is called RAMBO, which stands for something. Um, And uh, they tested it in... um, the domain of offline RL, um, which is where you have a finite data set um, of the consequences of various actions from an environment and then you try to figure out the best policy from there. Um, and it turns out pessimism is a good idea in offline RL as well. Um, and so they came up with this technique um, and I think it's plausible that if you scaled everything up, you could come up with a safe superhuman reinforcement learner. Awesome. So it sounds like expanding... So it's high praise. Yeah, right. (laughs) For sure. The highest. Um,
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe one theme is like taking a lot of these... We've talked about somewhat kind of high level or theoretical concepts and in order for them to like. Be implemented. There's just like some um, extra stages of just like maybe building them into like existing paradigms, like deep learning paradigms, and seeing if they work and like testing them. And these are just like natural next steps. Yeah,
1: I'd love for more people to be doing that, especially explicitly. I mean, it was, you know, it was nice that they came across this um, independently of seeing any of my work. Um, uh, But I would definitely be very interested in people looking at other um you know that may be looking at the imitation learning paper of mine and trying to figure out how that could be executed in practice um i think people should um consider doing work in offline rl um it seems pretty plausible to me that um designs for agents that Succeed in those sorts of settings will end up being very useful for thinking about practical approaches to um, uh, making safe advanced AI. Um, so that's probably the the simplest, or that's probably the easiest domain to get a start in. Um, Since there are so many high quality mentors um, in academia um, that could help with that. Um, But I would also always encourage people to try to design idealized agents that um, break one or more of the assumptions in the paper that we've spent most of our time discussing. Um, That I think is the most promising approach to developing new. AI safety ideas. Awesome. That's very useful.
0: And what about recommendations? Could you throw out three-ish, let's say, books, papers, anything else which people could go and follow up with?
1: Yeah, so I would recommend reading this paper that we've spent Mm -hmm. most of our time discussing. We will link to it for sure. if you're interested in pessimism and or offline RL, I'd recommend the uh, Rambo paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, maybe the quantalizing paper, the quantalizers paper by Jessica Taylor, um, especially bearing in mind the sort of subtleties that that I've been talking about just now, and and so if you could figure out how to um, make that problem disappear in practice, um, that would be great. Awesome! And
0: on the topic of recommendations, what about a TV show recommendation?
1: Uh, can you recommend one of those? Yes. Great. Survivor <laughs> is an excellent television show, I would say. Uh, yeah. So that's. Uh, This is a US show, right? Because I had never heard of it until you mentioned Um, it. there are a bunch of people. Every episode they vote someone out when there are two or three people left, the last N people who were voted out vote for a winner and that's basically the game and there are some other bells and whistles on it.
0: What's are they like on an island or something? They're like on an island. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um and you know there are some challenges that like well if they win then they can't be voted out the next time. Okay, but right, mostly yeah. it's it, that the core of the game is you just vote people out. And this is what human intelligence was made for. <laughs> and uh and so people are just like they're they're really good at it and it's really interesting to see all the schemes they make right. and the alliances they form and um yeah, it's just fascinating. Uh, the the the. Your favorite series or episode? So season forty. yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> when did this start? Like the sixties. <laughs> um. So they they now they do two a year. They used to do one a year. Um. Season forty. It's all people who have won before, and so the level of gameplay is is exquisite. <laughs> Uh, it's just really, it's uh, it's amazing to watch. I mean, it spoils many previous seasons uh, because you know who won, but I, I would start there. If, I think for some reason great. people aren't prepared to watch the right. first. Yeah, the first 39. Yeah, right. um, you just skip to the 40th, I'd say. Yeah. Okay,
0: nice. I'll link to that. <laughs> have you learned more about raising a child from being an expert in RL, or have you learned more about RL from raising a child? <laughs>
1: Uh I don't know that I've learned much from either. Um <laughs> so the context here is uh my wife and I just had a baby boy 2 weeks ago. What time is it? It's It
0: is 2:16.
1: 2 weeks ago as of like 20 minutes from oh, now. Oh wow. Well, okay. Here's here's a thought I had um that was maybe informed by my thinking about uh RL and and AI safety. Um we've been feeding him breast milk from a bottle Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes he's just like guzzling it Mm -hmm. like and then he's like (gasps) and catches breath Um, um, but usually what they're supposed to do is like they drink a bit and then they rest for a bit and they drink a bit and they rest for a bit Um, and I was realizing that um, sometimes like I take the bottle out when he's resting because Sometimes you want to burp him, and so you put him over your shoulder and you tap his back um, to to make sure that the air is gone so that he doesn't throw everything up. But if you only remove the bottle when he pauses, then maybe you're training him not to pause. So then I started um, just kind of removing it at random points to burp him rather than at, at the pauses. Um, Did it work? Um, Unclear. <laughs> okay, nice.
0: I guess we'll see in like 20 years time when yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah that was that was a thought I had that maybe that's wouldn't have great. occurred to me without some RL background. I love that. Okay last question how can people get in touch with you if they want to? Um, michael.cohen at eng.ox.ac.uk We'll write it down um, you can also that's also written on my website um, which is michael-k-cohen.com
0: all right Michael-K-Cohen. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me. That was Michael
0: Cohen on how reinforcement learners might intervene on the provision of reward. If you find this podcast valuable in some way, then probably the most effective way to help is just to write an honest review wherever you're listening to this. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at hearthisidea. We basically never tweet, but hoping to change that. And I'll also mention that we still have a feedback form on our website, which you'll receive a free book for filling out. Okay, as always, a big thanks to our producer, Jaton, for editing these episodes, and thank you very much for listening.